Father, thank you that we can lift up our hearts to you in this house of prayer and to trust that you hear these prayers, that you are here because two or three or more than that are gathered together and you're right here in the midst of us and that you're wanting to speak to us. So we just give you full permission to dig out our ears, to help us to hear, to help us to see. Lord, lead us to a deeper love for Jesus, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. As Park and his friend walked through the courtyard there in the port city, they were somewhat excited because they hadn't gotten to get together for quite some time. They were friends from the university. As they walked through the courtyard, there were about 800 people spread out throughout, mingling through the courtyard. But it, it wasn't just any courtyard, it was kind of drab, and, and there were some posters that if you were to read them would have seemed strange to you, but they didn't seem strange to them at all. And if you would have noticed some of the people and their haircuts and their hairstyle, what they were wearing, you would have noticed that there was some form of uniformity among that vast crowd of people, that that there was something similar about all of them. Suddenly, as they were walking along, they were enjoying that day. Park was really excited to be there because he hadn't had the opportunity to travel to this city for years. But as they were walking through the courtyard, suddenly leaflets began coming down from the sky. They were showering down all around him. And if you saw the different people in the courtyard, most of them were scared to actually go and pick up one of these leaflets. But Park, knowing that he was right there in the middle of this crowd, quickly bent down. He grabbed one of them and he stuck it in his pocket. He his friend wasn't even willing to do that, but when he and his friend got back to the house, they immediately opened it up and they began to read. And what they read was about an entirely different world from what they were used to. You see, Park and his friend lived in North Korea. And Park and his friend were a part of a regime that is incredibly oppressive, that limits information from the outside world, that feeds a message of propaganda about what the entire world is like. And on this leaflet, it gave pictures, it gave words that described an entirely different reality, something far more beautiful than Park had ever experienced. He wasn't sure if he could believe this, but he was beginning to wonder if maybe he should believe this. The year was 1993. He'd had a few things happen in his life that were beginning to make him question. But Park was high up in a government family. He was being raised to be a high official within the North Korean regime. And so he had to be very, very careful. Truth is a very powerful thing, isn't it? Truth has the ability to set us free, as Jesus said in John 8, 32. I want you to go with me to the prayer that Jesus prayed in John chapter 17. We've been looking at this for several weeks, and we've seen many different beautiful things about how Jesus wants for us to share in the glory that he and the Father share together, and that that glory is the love that they share in fellowship together, that that is their glory that they've had throughout eternity. We've seen how he's prayed that specifically the Father would keep us in the name. And we saw what the name is, as Moses was there on the mountain and he saw revealed the name of the Lord, the Lord God, merciful, gracious, long-suffering, 
abounding in mercy and truth, forgiving iniquity and transgression, but by no means cleansing, clearing the guilty. We continue in this prayer in John chapter 17. We pick it up in verse 15. We read this last week, but we're going to go a little bit further this week. And I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Last week we saw how Jesus himself prayed for Peter. He saw that Peter was deceived by the enemy. And in a nutshell, last week we saw that there is power in prayer because Jesus gave us this example that when you pray for somebody, there is something that takes place in the great controversy. And how marvelously that prayer was answered in Peter's life. What an example for us to follow in prayer. But he, pray, he says, keep them from the evil one. There is an enemy, somebody seeking to attack them. Father, you love them as, as you have loved me. There's this love relationship and yet the enemy is trying to get in and deceive and trick them. He's trying to make them a part of his regime. They're deceived, they're tricked. Keep them from the evil one. Verse 16 says, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And then verse 17, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. This is a beautiful verse. I know you've probably heard it before, but I want you to let it sink in a little deeper this morning. Sanctify them by your truth. What does it mean to be sanctified? What does it, it look like? I mean, that's a, a term that sounds uh, like a church language that maybe doesn't have anything to do with our daily life. Sounds like a theological term. Sanctify them. Make them holy. That's great. What does that really look like? Well, you remember last week that we were looking at the story of Peter and what were Peter and the disciples arguing about in the upper room just after Jesus had washed their feet? Who would be the greatest? They're there arguing in Luke 22 about who's going to be the greatest. And Jesus goes through and he tells them, don't lord things over each other like those in the world. Don't be a part of that regime. I wonder in my own experience, I may not be a part of North Korea, but could it be that like Peter... I have a twisted way of thinking about the world and about thinking about God just like the North Koreans are confused about the outside world. Peter was confused because he says to Jesus, when he, he says to Jesus, I would never leave you. I, I, there's no possible way. In fact, let's look at that. Luke chapter 22. Luke 22, when, when Peter is told by Jesus that he's going to be sifted, you notice that, that Jesus uses truth again and again for the disciples in order to attempt to, what we might say, sanctify them. To set them apart for a holy purpose. Luke 22, and we read in verse 32, But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail, and when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. So he's basically saying, Peter, you're going to deny me, but when you come back, Strengthen your brethren. And Peter cannot handle this. He cannot believe he has this self-confidence about his love for Jesus, what he would do. He would go the distance for Jesus. 
And so he says, but he said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus, I'm ready. I can handle it. I can take it. The enemy may be trying to sift me, but he's got nothing on me. I can handle this. This is a very dangerous position to be in. And yet, how often may we be standing in the same place feeling confident that we understand, we know about truth, we understand the Bible, and we're perfectly okay. But Jesus tries to give him a little more truth in verse 34. Then he said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day before you will deny three times that you know me. And as we go on and we read this story, we find out that when they go to the Garden of Gethsemane, this spirit of self-confidence that Peter had kept him from following Jesus' footsteps in prayer. And when Jesus is there praying and asks for him to pray so that he would not enter into temptation, Peter promptly, what does he do? Just falls asleep. He doesn't see his desperate need. He's not willing to humble himself to cry out to God for protection from the enemy. And God respects our freedom of choice. He only comes as close as we're willing to let Him in our lives. Are we willing to really let Him in? Or do we really care? Do we really want to let Him in? And Kim, uh, in, in Park's experience there in North Korea, I actually have a, a picture of him. I don't know if I put it up earlier. But of, of Park when he was there in Korea, he was 25 years old when he was there and received that pamphlet telling him about what the outside world was like. It was a bit of truth to kind of give him this idea that maybe there's something more out there. And this wasn't the only time. He had a friend who had gone to, I believe it was Japan, who came back and told him about, hey, you know that in Japan, they don't have to go every single week and participate in what they call self-criticism, where you have to recount Each and every week you have to go through this self-evaluation to let the government know about all your sins. We don't have to go through that in Japan the whole time that I was there. He had another friend who had come back from Western Europe. And when that friend came back from Western Europe, they said, you know the people there? They're actually happier. That that freedom that they have that we've heard is so bad, that's so, so dangerous, they're actually happy and enjoying life. They seem so much happier, so much more carefree than we are here. But Park kept trying to put all of that out of his mind. He kept trying to reject this idea that that what he had been fed from the time he was a child was a lie. He wanted to believe all the things that he had grown up hearing. He didn't want to change his entire perspective. He didn't want to have a paradigm shift. And so he kept clinging on to this. He received that pamphlet back in 1993, but year after year went by and he continued to rise higher in the ranks in the North Korean regime. Peter was part of the enemy's regime, although he didn't realize it. He was buying into the system, this system of beliefs that was dangerous to him. And Jesus was desperately trying to free him from this. And one of the powerful ways that he wanted to do this was by inviting him to humble himself and pray. Later on, Peter describes to us what he wants, 
what Jesus wants for us to experience. Because Peter, after he sees the cross, he does return to Jesus and he does recognize his shortcomings. And if you go to 1 Peter, it describes this experience of holiness. Peter, who had gone through these failings and fallings himself, goes on to describe to us the holiness that we should expect to experience. 1 Peter chapter 1, and we'll go to verse 13. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 13. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Gird up the loins of your mind. Gird them up with truth. Gird them up in a way that you are sober, that you're not thinking more highly of yourself than you should, that you don't make the same mistakes that I made. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust, as in your ignorance. There's a recognition here that ignorance, that our pride, that, that our misunderstanding of who God is, leads us to so many of our problems. Verse 15, But as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because it is written, and he quotes from Leviticus 11, Be holy, for I am holy. When Jesus prays that we would be sanctified by the truth, sanctification, what is sanctification? What does it mean to be made holy? It means to be made like God. This is a beautiful and wonderful thing. Because what is God like? God is the most delightful being in all the universe. God is the one who has spread out all that we see in creation, all of this good creation, all of the wonderful things that He's given to us. God defines Himself by love. Look at Thoughts from the Mount of Blessings, page 18. It says this, Righteousness is holiness, likeness to God, and God is love. 1 John 4.16 And who wouldn't really want to experience that in their lives? Who wouldn't want to become more loving in your life? Love that is patient. Love that is kind. Love that bears long with the faults of others. Love that is tender and cares for what people are going through. That is what Jesus wants us to experience. Sanctify them. Now you notice that when it says sanctify them, it's not in the the tense of saying they need to sanctify themselves, right? It's saying sanctify them. This is something that you are going to do for them in their lives. It's something that an outside force is doing upon them. Jesus is praying not that the disciples that he's praying for would sanctify themselves, but he's praying that they would be sanctified, that they would be made holy, that they would be made like God. How does this take place? What does this look like? How can we experience it for ourselves? Look at what he goes on to say. We just read it in John chapter 17, verse 17. He says, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. 
How is it that this sanctification process takes place in our hearts? It takes place through a revelation of truth. It takes place through recognizing truth in our lives. You've probably experienced this multiple times throughout your life. I know I've experienced it. From the time I was little, there were different things that my mom would tell me. For instance, I don't remember if it was her that told me for sure, but just like our our children's story today, I remember that we would go over to a friend's house and our friends kept bees. They had bee boxes there. And these bee boxes had active bees in them and, and I was probably about six years old at the time and I would go and I would stay with them. And we were told to stay far away from the bees but not to be afraid of them, not to run away from them. Well, as a little kid, I didn't recognize how painful interaction with one of these insects could be So I remember running past the beehive as close as I could get and then being chased by these bees and getting stung and I remember the pain of recognizing I should have listened to truth. If only I had listened, then maybe I would have been okay. If only Peter had listened to Jesus, watch and pray that you don't enter into temptation. If only he listened to Him when He said, I'm going to go to the cross. If only he had recognized those bits of truth that Jesus was trying to give him again and again and again. I've seen it many times in my life that truth has a sanctifying, a transformative influence on my life. When I met Leah, she's somebody that brings a lot of truth into my life. And I remember there were times when we were driving when she would be looking through my CD case and she would see these CDs that I had in there and she would say, do you think this is like really healthy for you to be listening to? I'd say, well, you know, that one, I just keep it in the CD case or I only listen to it once in a while. But I would just keep thinking about that, you know? It, does that really go along with Philippians 4.8, whatsoever is pure, whatsoever is lovely, whatsoever is good, maybe not. Okay, okay, I'll get rid of that. I remember in my room that there were certain DVDs that she said, you watch that? Well, yeah, why not? Why shouldn't I have that there? Well, okay, I just wondered. It, it tells about good and evil, the forces of good and evil going back and forth. You can say that about every single movie you've ever watched, I bet. That's a good excuse, but for me, I began to recognize, you know what? Whatsoever is pure, whatsoever is lovely, whatsoever is... This isn't drawing me closer to Jesus. I'm going to get rid of this out of my life. Again and again in my life, I've seen how truth can sanctify and purify and transform my life in a way that's beneficial to me, but also in a way that's beneficial to other people. I remember when we were on this ministry team and we used to do something called Youth Prayer Conference where a bunch of high school kids would come together. And one of the leaders of that event is a good friend of mine who has a talent for talking. And late at night, he would always want to have a debriefing session and have us all come together. And he would talk about, well, what's gone wrong? Or how did the program go? Did we do it? And it was late at night. And so we began to say, what can we do to get him to stop talking? So I remember one night when we were all there crowded around that several of us got together and collaborated and said, what we'll do is while he's talking, when he's looking over in the other direction, we'll all just begin to kind of walk away and he's suddenly going to turn around and be talking to nobody anymore. Nobody's going to be here and he'll get the point. 
And so we were beginning to just kind of like creep away, slowly back away. It was working perfectly. And then I looked over at one of my other friends, and he was just still sitting there. And I was like, come here. And so he, he looked at me, and so he started to go, and he was starting to walk over there himself. And then he suddenly realized what I was trying to do. And he was a little bit closer friend with the man who was talking. And he said, no, I'm not going to be a part of that. And he went back and he sat down. And it suddenly hit me. How's that going to feel to the leader of this group? How's it going to feel when, when we treat him like that? And I was thankful for that little bit of truth that he fed to me as I realized that that was going to hurt this person. You see, that's what sanctification is all about. That's what being made holy is all about. It's, it's about becoming like God. It's about becoming loving, which is so much better for our own lives, and it's so much better for every person around us. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. I love what it says in the Review and Herald. March 15, 1906, it says, Sanctification means habitual communion with God. This is what Jesus is is picturing here. This is what he wanted for Peter. Sanctify them by thy truth. Thy word is truth. It's about a relationship with the one who can change every part of my heart. It's about a relationship with the one who's totally different from me. Sanctification means habitual. That means a habit of constantly being in conversation with a God of the universe who loves me more than his own existence. What could possibly be better than that? What could be more delightful than that? What could fulfill my heart more than that? That's what Jesus tried to call Peter to. He tried to call him to prayer in the garden. He tried to to give him bits of truth that he should rely upon. He wanted for Peter to be sanctified by the truth. And he recognized that thy word is truth. Park had a little bit of a hard time listening to the truth that was given to him. It came to the point where his father was actually deployed. They were in a high government family in North Korea. And his his father was deployed to Japan. And as he was working in Japan, he heard about conditions in North Korea, and he heard how bad the famine was getting in North Korea. Now, they're not even allowed to use the term famine, but he heard about his own family was starving, and and he realized that that things weren't as they thought in North Korea, that, that this system, this regime was actually incredibly evil, it was oppressive, it was a tyranny. It was authority that should not be followed. And so he sent a messenger to his son Park and said, I want you to take the family and I want you to escape from North Korea. Now, Park immediately, his sensors went up and he said, no, this is a trick. I know that they're trying to trick me. They're trying to test my loyalty. He said, this is not a message from my father. The, the man who brought the message was actually Chinese. He said, this, this cannot be a message from my father. If this is a message from my father, then prove it. You've got to show me a picture of my father. So that took two months in order for them to finally, the, this man to be able to finally work with the father, to be able to get a picture and to bring it back to him in North Korea, to be able to bring this picture to him, to prove to him that indeed his father was telling him, take the family and flee from North Korea. 
Korea. Sometimes it takes us a while to recognize the need to flee from all that the enemy is trying to do in our lives. Sometimes it takes us a while to recognize the tyranny of the system that Satan has us in. But if you read in 2 Thessalonians, it talks about how in the end, there's going to be two groups of people. There's going to be those who believe the lie, and there's going to be those who believe the truth. I'm excited for the series that Bill Boffman is going to be doing for us on religious liberty. I encourage you to attend that because there's so many different things going on in our society that the enemy is trying to get us to buy a lie. And that's exactly what's happening in North Korea. As day after day, people are led to believe that a system is good when in fact it is so terribly wrong. Sanctify them by thy truth. Thy word is truth. And then verse uh, 18 goes on to say this. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified by the truth. Here's the thing. We could just say, okay, we need to spend more time in the Bible, and if we spend more time reading the Bible, more time in prayer, then we will be sanctified and we will be turned into people like God. But that's exactly what the Pharisees did. That's what the scribes tried to get people to do. They spent so much time reading the Bible that they had vast portions of the Torah memorized. They spent time praying on street corners, and yet they missed Jesus. Friends, when we read the Bible, when we pray, if it's not about a relationship with Jesus, the one who came and showed us what truth really is, then we're going to miss the point. Jesus says, I sanctify myself so that they may be sanctified by the truth. And just a few chapters earlier, he's told them what the truth is. In John 14, verse 6, when Philip is confused and he says, show us the Father. I want to see what is God like. Just show us the Father and it's enough for us. And he gives them this beautiful truth. What does he say to him? He says that, How would I, have I been with you so long that you do not know me? And he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Sanctify them by the truth. Who is the truth? Jesus. John 17, 17 says that sanctify them by the truth. Thy word is truth. And in John 1, it says that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He came and he existed before the creation of the planet and yet he came and tabernacled among us, and we beheld His glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Friends, all of truth finds its culmination in the person of Jesus Christ. And as we read through the Bible, that's what we discover, that the entire Bible is about Jesus. It's all to point us to Jesus. And this is the way that the Bible will transform our lives, is as we recognize that it's all to point us to Jesus. In John chapter 5 and verse 39, when the, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, He says to them that you search the Scriptures, for in them you think that you have life. But these are they which testify of Me. On the road to Emmaus, when he's there with the two disciples and they're, they're mourning the fact that, that 
this great prophet had died on the cross, that Jesus had been crucified, he takes them to Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, and he explains all the things concerning himself. And their hearts were set on fire by the truth that Jesus is the truth. He is the revelation of who God is. And as we fix our eyes on that, it changes our lives. As Park began to realize that there was truth to this reality, that there is a better world out there, that there's something more to be had than the experience that he was having, he finally decided that he was going to do it. He hired uh, people to be able to bribe the guards and they were able to escape out into China and then they were able to finally fly to South Korea. And once in South Korea, he began to study all about government, both of South Korea and North Korea. And his world began to be open. He began to realize that everything was not the way that he'd been brought up. Everything wasn't exactly as he had thought all along, that there was an entirely different system. Jesus wants for us to have that same type of paradigm shift take place in our hearts. Sanctify them by thy truth. Thy word is truth. In Christ's Object Lessons, page 100, it says this, The Scriptures are the great agency in the transformation of character. Christ prayed, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. If studied and obeyed, the word of God works in the heart, subduing every unholy attribute. As we read through the Bible, we begin to see a picture of God that reveals a God of love, a God of mercy, a God of justice, a God of truth. And as we see these things, in beholding, we become transformed. But are we willing to really take the time? Am I willing to prayerfully search the Scriptures, building that relationship with the God who loves me so much That He gives me the freedom to choose Him or not choose Him? Do I let Him in or do I keep Him knocking on the door saying, I've got this book for you. I have this truth for you. Are you willing to see it for yourself? But surely I wouldn't betray Jesus like Peter did. I mean, I don't have the same kind of issues that Peter had. I'm not trying to make myself the greatest. I wouldn't deny Jesus like Peter would, would I? Or do I, by my unchristlike character, by the things that I've said, by the way that I've treated people, does that deny Christ? In the, book, in the magazine Review and Herald, February 9, 1892, it says this, Men may speak fluently upon doctrines and may express strong faith in theories, but do they possess Christian-like meekness and love? If they reveal a harsh, critical spirit, they are denying Christ. If they are not kind, tender-hearted, long-suffering, they are not like Jesus. They are deceiving their own souls. I've got to take this seriously. I've got to take serious stock in my life and say, have I really let the truth do what it's promised that it will do? Do I really believe that the Word of God is that powerful that it will change me into being a loving person, into genuinely caring for the people around me? A spirit contrary to the love, humility, meekness, and gentleness of Christ denies Him. 
Whatever may be the profession, we deny Christ when we speak evil of one another. We deny Him in foolish talking, in jesting, in joking. We deny Him when we have foolish, a foolish spirit criticizing our brethren. We deny Him in seeking to be first, seeking honor one of another. We may deny Christ in outward appearance by gratifying a proud heart, by lifting up the soul unto vanity, by uncourteous behavior. In any of these things, we're really denying the reality of who God is, the reality of His government, which is that God is love, that He has humbled Himself to become a man, that He humbled Himself to the point of death on the cross because He loves me more than His own existence. He loves you more than His own existence. Do I let that truth permeate my heart to the place where I treat others in that same way? Paul, writing in 1 Thessalonians, describes sanctification in terms of love. If you go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 12, it says this, And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you. Now notice who is doing the action here. Is it the people who are becoming, who are making themselves more loving? Who's making the increase of love take place? May the Lord make you increase and abound in love. May God build this up in you where you become more and more loving towards each other. Verse 13, so that He may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all His saints. This is God's goal for us that when He comes back, that as we behold Him, that we will be able to stand in His presence because He has transformed our hearts to holiness like His. To loving others like He loves others. That's the goal of what He wants to do in our hearts. That's the reality of what He is longing to do. Do we believe that He will do it and that He wants to do it? He's promised to do it. First Thessalonians 4 goes on to say that This is the will of God, your sanctification. This is God's plan for you. This is God's will for you that He's going to set you apart to be a loving person, to be a holy person. This is God's goal for our lives. He has a goal for an entirely different experience for us. Jesus said, Sanctify them by thy truth. Thy word is truth. Sanctify them just... I'm sanctifying myself so that they may be sanctified by the truth. If you look at Jesus' experience, you see how truth had a sanctifying influence on him. When he goes into the wilderness and he confronts the enemy again and again as he confronts Satan, how does he confront him? He says, it is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He has this experience in the Bible. He has this experience in truth that has enabled him to rise apart from the world. Though he's in the world, he's separate from it. He is holy in his experience because he has an experience with the Father through the Word. You see that with temptation after temptation. And even when Satan comes and quotes the same Bible to him, he's able to quote the Bible back and recognize the overarching theme of truth that the enemy is undercutting. This is really important for us as we read the Bible that we see the 
big picture of who God is because this is what the Bible is all about. I have, sadly, a friend whose father was a theology professor who knew Greek and Hebrew extremely well, who students, by the time I knew him, he was retired, and students would actually call him up who were theology students so that they could get tutored in Greek. This guy knew the Bible really, really well. But my friend was abused by that same daughter, by that same father for years and years and years. Today she can't go to the same church that he went to because of all of the memories, all of the horror of the experience that he put her through. He may have been studying the truth, but he was missing the overarching themes of truth. He was missing the fact that God calls us into the same experience of love. That this word is not just words on a paper, but that it changes my heart. And as Jesus interacted with people, you find Him just dropping little bits of truth. Sometimes it's just one verse, but it changes everything. You remember the paralytic who was lowered down through the roof, and as he's there and everybody's in shock that this has taken place, Jesus says to him, your sins are forgiven. That reality of justification by faith, it changed everything for that man. He would have been happy to not have been healed in that moment. But Jesus went ahead and healed him too to prove the power that he had to forgive sins. When, when he found that woman caught in adultery and he's confronted and everybody's condemning her and he frees her from that condemnation and then says, woman, where are your accusers? She says, they're, they're not here anymore. He says to her beautiful words of truth, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. He sets her free by truth. He sanctifies her by truth. Your word is truth. He says, this is the reality. I set you free from the condemnation, from the guilt, from all of your sin and shame in your life. The Father Himself loves you. He likes you. He adores you. He wants for you to be with Him forever. Luke 10.32, He would gladly give you the kingdom. Now go and sin no more. Be set free from all of that garbage. Be sanctified by the truth. This is what He wants to do for us. The faith I live by, we've looked at this a couple times, but it is so powerful. Page 111 says, The thought that the righteousness of Christ is imputed to us not because of any merit on our part, but as a free gift from God, is a precious thought. It's a little bit of truth that is so precious, so valuable, that it should change the entire way that we view our lives, that we view the lives of those around us. Then it goes on to say, the enemy of God and man is not willing that this truth should be clearly presented. For he knows that if the people receive it fully, his power will be broken. Have you let this sink into your hearts? Have I let it sink into my heart? Not enough. Because there are still sins in my life that I struggle with and the enemy still has some some chains in my life and I have to realize that God has set me free and when that realization fully sinks in, that the righteousness of Christ has been imputed to me not because of anything that I've done, not because I am good, but because Jesus is good. When that reality sinks in that the price has already been fully paid for my sins, 
then, then and only then will the truth set us free. Park was finally recognizing the value of truth. He recognized it to such an extent that though he was able to immediately get a job because he had an engineering background in North Korea, he was able to get a, a job right away in South Korea. For a while, he was in that job. He, he escaped in 1997, and then for a few years, he was following it. But in 2003, he heard about what had taken place with his family when he had escaped. His family had been brutally beaten. Some of his family had been killed. Some of them were put into prison camps. And he recognized that though he had gotten his immediate family out of North Korea, that this oppressive regime was continuing to inflict pain on his family and friends back in North Korea. And so he began to do something. He recognized that there's power in truth, that truth sets people free. When you come to a realization of the truth, it sets you free like nothing else can do. And so Park began to do something. You remember how he was there in the courtyard and down rained the tracks? Well, he took this to a whole new level. He formed an entire organization where he would take and he would fill balloons with helium and he would stuff them full of tracks. And here's a picture of one night where they're doing it there and you just see there's tons of these balloons that they stuff full of tracks. When the winds are just right, they release them from South Korea. They go up into the air and these tracks float over and they have them timed just right so that they release these tracks over North Korea. Here's a picture of a, a bulletin of Kim Jong uh, II and it's not very favorable towards him at all. Uh, it's pointing out the fact that he's starving them by trying to create these missiles. Uh, he wanted to get truth back to the country so that they could be set free just like him. How do you think that a dictator feels about somebody doing something like this? In fact, they've upgraded it now where they send all kinds of flash drives and they send all, t all types of news media and all types of things on these flash drives so that people can get hours and hours of, of things that you and I take for granted that reveal truth to them about what the world is actually like. As they drop this truth in, it, it's caused more and more people to defect from North Korea to the place where the dictator has actually declared that Park is enemy zero. You can look it up on Wikipedia. The number one enemy of North Korea, enemy zero, is a guy who defected and recognizes the truth and sends that truth back and says, you've got to look at this. You've got to see this. You've got to recognize there's a greater reality out there. And that is exactly what Jesus wants for you and I to be. That's why he prays, protect them from the evil one, because the enemy targets those who are trying to share the beautiful truth of the gospel with the world out there, who tries to show the beauty of the Ten Commandments, the law of love that reveals God's love. The enemy is not happy. The enemy is actually enraged, Revelation 12 says, with those who keep the commandments of God and who have the faith of Jesus. Those who trust in Jesus and His righteousness to lead them to be loving people, that's just not popular in our world today. But God wants for you and I to be agents of truth. He wants for you and I to take this truth to the world so that He can sanctify them by the truth because His Word is truth. In closing, I just want to look at uh, something from Signs of the Times. 
It says this in August 29, 1892. It says, If it is not in accordance with your inclination to study the Word of God, I beg of you to plead with God for His design, divine Spirit for those who love Jesus, take comfort in communion with Him. Friends, if you haven't had the experience of the psalmist who in Psalm 119 again and again talks about how your words are, are like honey to me. They're, they're more precious than gold. They're, they're precious to me. This truth, it means everything to me. Your word hidden in my heart delivers me from sin. How can a young man keep his way pure by keeping it according to your word? If sitting down and reading your Bible doesn't sound delightful, that's okay. Tell Jesus about it. Ask Him to give you a hunger for His Word. Because we're living in times that are desperate. There are bigger enemies out there than Kim Jong, the, the dictator of, of North Korea. There is a bigger regime, and that is the, the regime of the enemy. And he wants to hurt us. He wants to do everything possible to deceive us. But Jesus has prayed for you. Sanctify them by thy truth. Set them free from from the tyranny of the enemy. Show them that you are a God of love. Reveal your character to them so that they can be holy just like you are holy. So number one, I want to challenge you to pray that prayer. Lord, would you give me a hunger, a desire for truth? Would you give me understanding as I read the Bible that I wouldn't just read it as if it's words on a paper, but that I would read it as the transformative Word of God? Then I also wanted to challenge you by this from Testimonies for the Church, Volume 7, page 11. It says this, Present the truth in such a way that it will be seen in all its beauty, exerting an influence that cannot be resisted. Thus the walls of prejudice will be broken down. Number one, in my life, I want to make a commitment today to pursue truth, to see Jesus, to fix my eyes on His loving character because by beholding, I'm transformed. As I take that time in the morning and I read about Him, it changes my own heart. It transforms me. By beholding, we are transformed. But I don't just want to keep it to myself. Just like Park, I want to take and I want to spread this to as many people as possible. I want to invite you to join me in praying that God would teach us how to do this. To present truth in such a way that it will be seen in all its beauty. First of all, that I would see that truth is beautiful. And second of all, that I would know how to present it to my friends to my neighbors, to the people in our community, that truth is so beautiful, it's so grand, it's so life-changing, it's so beautiful that when I sit in church, I won't sit there and fall asleep anymore because I'm so excited to hear about Jesus. That I won't sit there with a, just acting like it's no big deal, but that I will fall in love with Jesus when I open my Bible. I long to have that experience. And I pray that that you'll join me in just asking that God will reveal truth from this church and from our hearts, from our lives, as we interact with people, that we would give them truth in all of its beauty, in the way that will set them free, because Jesus prayed, sanctify them by thy truth. Thy word is truth. 
if you want to enjoy, join me in those two commitments. Number one, of praying that God would make truth beautiful to you, that he would give you a hunger for more of the Bible, more truth, that he would lead you like Martin Luther to want to devour the Bible. This is what's changed history by people coming to the Bible and reading it for themselves. It's changed all of society. If you want to have that experience, I want to invite you to just stand with me and say, God, I really want to know you because this is what eternal life is all about. I want to have a hunger for the Bible. I want for you to lead me to delight in the Bible. And then second of all, I just want to invite you to bow your head with me as we pray and just to ask that God would make that truth so beautiful to you and me, to our church, that we personally and as a church would know how to share that truth in a way that is irresistible with the people around us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you. You've preserved the Bible for thousands of years. There's so much truth here that transforms our lives, that leads us to recognize the things in our lives that are contrary to your character, the things that hurt us and that hurt others, the things that hurt you, And God, we're tired of those things. We want a freedom from those things. Thank you for setting us free by the truth. Oh God, would you pour out your Spirit on us? Would you give us an unsatiable desire for truth, for your Word? Lord, may we see in your Word the truth who is Jesus. May we recognize that all of it is a depiction, a picture of who you are. And Father... Would you please teach us? Would you please empower us? Would you please take over our minds and our tongues, our, our pens, our keyboards, our, our cell phones in such a way that we can share truth in all of its beauty so that it's irresistible for others? Thank you, Father. We trust that this is based on you and your faithfulness, not on ours. Thank you so much. Lord, in closing, I just want to pray the prayer that Paul prayed for the Thessalonians as he was writing to them, just praying that they too would be sanctified by the truth. The same exact thing that Jesus prayed for us, Father. We want to pray over our church today that we would experience the sanctification that comes through truth, that comes through your word. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. Thank you, Jesus, that this is all dependent upon you. We cling to you. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.